Shepherd Children's Church as you turn to Ephesians chapter number 6 and uh, the kids go out. Some, some things are explainable in life and some things are not and uh, I'm so glad uh, for His grace though we can express our feelings and thoughts and we can define it from the Word of God, it's really hard uh, to explain uh, the grace of God in our lives. And um, it's kind of like the peace of God, uh, where the book of Philippians says that peace of God passeth all understanding. Uh, It's uh, how can you have peace when this is going on? How can you have peace amidst turmoil? Uh, But God said we can have peace all the time because He's the Prince of Peace and the world doesn't understand these things. So trying to explain to the world the things of God is, try, is like trying to explain trigonometry to a toddler. You just, it's just they don't have the comprehension. Sometimes I think we forget when it comes to the Word of God, uh, the Word of God is spiritually discerned. You ever see that before? You ever see the Scriptures say that it's the, the, the Scriptures are spiritually discerned? What does that mean? It means you have to have a key to understand the Word of God. You, you, you go to my house, you go to your some of your houses, you may have a safe in your house, and it's, there's either a a lock, or there's a number, or there's something that you need to open that safe. And if you don't have it, you can't open it, right? you got to have a key. Understand this, when it comes to the Scriptures, without the key, what is the key? The key is the Spirit of God. The Spirit guides us into all truth. So the Spirit of God helps us to understand the Word of God, helps us to understand holy things, and spiritual things, and the world does not have that. And so um, as we uh, listen to songs like that, and as we think about uh, the things of the Word of God, um, what a privilege it is, what an honor it is that we have the Word of God, that we have the Spirit of God, that we have these things that we need uh, to understand what God has for us uh, in our lives. And so we've been talking about um, the results of a Spirit-filled life. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? What are, uh, what are the results? So we talk about being filled with the Spirit. We talk about the Spirit of God living inside of us. But if the Spirit of God lives inside of us and we are filled with the Spirit, then there will be some results that happen. There will be some things uh, that uh, are evident in our lives when it comes to being Spirit-filled. Ephesians chapter number 6, we've already talked about when we are Spirit-filled... Spirit-led, that we will have singing in our lives. We will have serving in our lives. 
taking the opportunities that God gives us so that we can be a help and a blessing to other people, that we sing that new song that God has placed in our hearts. Um, uh, that uh, uh, and God doesn't say you, that, that you have to have a, a, a soprano voice or a, or a bass voice. or Listen, I, I know the voices, I just don't have any of them. And, so I, and I'm okay with that. I just, listen... Uh, God doesn't say you have to carry a, carry a tune in a bucket. God just says to make a joyful noise unto Him. And what a privilege it is that God places that in our heart uh, that we might make that joyful noise uh, uh, unto the Lord. You know what we need? As born-again children of God, what we need, what it means to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led is to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit in our lives. Sensitive to the, to the voice of the Spirit in our lives. So sometimes, God talks like this. Some of y'all look a little sleepy. You don't look sleepy anymore. Sometimes God talks loud, doesn't He? And it's evident. I mean, it's not only evident to you, it's evident to everybody around you because God speaks, and when God speaks, God has a booming voice. Amen. Amen. I can just imagine a creation. And God, God said, let there be light! And then there was light. And God created all that's around us with just His words. And, and I think of the words of God, and I think it, sometimes He speaks to us in that loud voice, but sometimes. He speaks to us in a still, small voice. Sometimes he's wanting to know for paying attention. Because, you know, you can hear a boom, booming voice when everything else is going on around you. My kids are watching television. Emma. Emma. I won't scream again, but Emma! Oh, yeah, Dad, you need me? Yeah, I needed you 10 minutes ago when I was calling you earlier. You couldn't hear me. Like, why? Because of the distractions, right? Sometimes there's distractions. You ever been in a public place? Man, everybody's talking. Yeah, let me, let me give you an example. Anybody here ever eat at jalapenos? That's got to be the loudest place on the planet. I mean, I call, we don't hardly ever eat there, but sometimes we'll... Will order out. You ever, you ever called to order? They ask you to repeat yourself forty times because it is so loud in there. I don't know if it's the acoustics. I don't know what's. I don't know what goes on in there. But I'm telling you, it is so loud in there. You can't hardly concentrate. You ever go sit in there and you go, don't go in there. Don't go in there Friday nights or Saturday night. I mean, it is so. And you try to talk to each other. You better be sitting next to each other. Why? Because you can't hardly hear because of the distractions. I'm here to tell you, we often can't hear what God's trying to say because there are so many distractions around us. We're listening to this voice and we're listening to that voice. Now listen to me, I'm not talking about an audible voice. God speaks to us in our spirit. God speaks to us in our hearts. And sometimes we can't hear it because God is speaking in a still, small voice. And we're so distracted with the things of this world. We're so distracted with ourselves. We're so distracted with everything that's going around us that we don't hear what God is saying to us. We need to be sensitive 
You know what paying attention is? Paying attention is when you're listening on purpose. When you're listening on purpose. Do you know that you can listen and not pay attention? Don't look at me like that. I've seen many of you do it. You're sitting there and somebody's talking to you and you're talking to them and you're directly looking at them, but you're listening to this person over here. Now listen, guys, we stink at it. Ladies, I I don't know, they got it. I mean, they just got it. I mean, they're having a full-fledged conversation over here. Two people are talking over there, and they ask a question, and they turn and answer the question, and then they get talking again. I was like, what? They're really good at doing that, right? Now, most guys aren't. But most guys, a lot of guys, or a lot of people, will sit there, and they'll be looking at you. Has your spouse ever said to you, are you paying attention? You're looking at them. You're supposedly listening to them, but are you really paying attention? Let me tell you something. When we pay attention, we're listening on purpose. We're determining, listen, you know what paying attention is? It's saying what you have to say to me is important. And I'm going to turn this off, and I'm going to turn this off, whether that be the TV or your mind going 100 miles an hour. You ever do that? Somebody say something to you. They, I mean, they spoke for five minutes and you're sitting there. I mean, you're like in Never Never Land. And, and, and they stopped talking and then you recognize they stopped talking and you said, oh my goodness, I bet you they asked me a question and I don't even know what they said. And then you ask them to repeat themselves. Why? Because you weren't paying attention. Do you know how many times God speaks to us and we're not paying attention? We're distracted with the world. We're distracted with people. We're distracted with ourselves. We're distracted with the things of this world. I mean, it's unbelievable how distracted we are. We need to get sensitive. Pay attention on purpose to what God is saying to us in our lives. I believe. You know, the Bible says this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. What does that mean? That means God says, I want you to go this way. This is the way, walk ye in it. This is where I want you to go. When, when God saved you, do you remember the Bible says he, he pulled us up out of the muck and mire uh, of this world and, and set our feet upon a, on a rock, and what did he do? He established our goings. So that means God says, go this way. This is the way I want you to go. This is the direction that I want you to live in. And God's still doing that today. He guides us in the direction that we need to go. The Bible says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Shows us the direction in which we should go. But I also believe that the stops of a good man are also ordered by the Lord. Sometimes God says go. Sometimes God says stop. In Acts 21, the Lord, the Spirit of God, hindered or stopped Paul from going to Jerusalem. Why? Because God said, listen, I don't want you to go there. Not right now. So he put the brakes on and said stop. When God says go, we should go. When God says stop, we should stop. Now we think to ourselves, that's just a silly statement. I mean, how I mean that's just that's just elementary. That is just common. Why why would you make a statement like that? Because we don't do it. 
know it's an easy thing to say, we should read our Bible. Why does preachers get up and say that? Because we don't read our Bibles. It's a simple thing. But we have a tendency to put it to the side. We have a tendency to be too busy for it. We have a tendency to be too busy for the things that God tells us to do gets us in trouble every time. Every single time. So listen, when God says stop, stop. When God says go, we need to go. If we know the direction God wants us to go in, then we ought to walk in that direction. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God in your life as He is speaking to you. So we talked about singing. We talked about serving. The, this, this morning I want to talk about the third thing, and that is standing. That is standing. Sometimes when we're spirit-filled, we, we, we sing. Sometimes we serve, and sometimes we stand. Sometimes we stand. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the blessed breastplate of righteousness and your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all things, or above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So he says here three times, he says, stand, withstand, stand. So, here in Ephesians chapter number 6, we're given the command as spirit-filled believers, as those, you remember Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the chapter before the Bible says, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So, as Spirit-filled Christians, can I tell you this much, and I've said it with every sermon that I've preached on this subject, that you can't be filled with the Spirit until you're born of the Spirit. Right? So you've got to be born of the Spirit first. If you're not saved and don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's where it begins. That's where it starts. It doesn't start being, with being filled with the Spirit. It starts with being born of the Spirit. With being born again, with knowing Christ as your personal Savior. You see, that's why Jesus came. Jesus, the God of heaven, on His throne in heaven, willingly came to this sin-sick world, lived a perfect, innocent, sinless life, went to the cross, bled and died upon the cross of Calvary, was buried. Remember, he took Joseph of Arimathea's tomb because he only needed to borrow it because three days later he rose again. And the Bible says after he rose again, he went to the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? He's interceding for you and me. How about that? How about the fact that Jesus is praying for you?
I can tell you, there are some people that I could list that I would be glad that they were praying for me. Because I know that they're prayer warriors and I know when they say I'm praying for you that they're going to pray for me. I'm thankful for that. But I promise you at the top of my list is Jesus. (laughs) He's interceding for you and for me. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, what are you waiting for? God loves you. God wants to spend eternity with you. That's why he came. That's why he bled. That's why he died. The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It was a great day. It was a great day when I figured out it's not about me. It was a great day when I figured out it's not about my efforts, about what I can do, what a kind of person I am. Listen to me, I'm a sinner and so aren't you. We're lost and undone. We have no, listen to me, no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Zero. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the way. He told Thomas and his disciples that in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the way. He's not a way. He's the way. That is to the exclusion of every other way. Do you understand that? That's not an arrogant statement. That's a biblical statement. Jesus is the way. If you've placed your faith in your baptism, you have no hope. If you've placed your faith in your church membership, you have no hope. If you place your, 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 your hope in the, in, the, in the fact that you're a good person, you're in deep, deep trouble. Because we can place our faith in nothing except the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will save you. I remember people telling me that before I got saved and, and sharing that with me. And, they, and I kept saying to myself, in my own head, and matter of fact, on multiple occasions I said it out loud, but you don't know what kind of person I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know where I've been. Let me tell you, God may be able, this, is what, this, is, this was my thoughts before I got saved. And somebody sharing the gospel with me. I would say this in my head. Listen, God may, God may be able to save somebody like you because you're, you're a relatively good person. But man, there's no way God could save me. And I didn't, I didn't think it was an ability thing. I thought it was a willing thing. Now, why would God want to save somebody as wretched and as wicked as me? It was a good day. When I found out that no matter how great my sin, my Savior is greater than my sin. And Paul said this, by the way, in case you ever thought that, Paul said this, he's already saved the chief of sinners when he saved me. And so when I share the gospel with people, I tell people all the time, you don't understand. I've had people tell me that, you don't understand what I did. I said, oh, 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 oh. Let me tell you something. God's already saved the chief of sinners. So you're, you're good. God will save you. 
God can save you. But once we're saved, once we trust Christ as our Savior, now are we walking in the Spirit? Are we led with the Spirit? Uh, led by the Spirit? Are we sensitive to the Spirit? Are we standing for the things that are right? Listen, we've lost it in this world. We have lost our ever-loving mind in this world. Chicago. That's all you got to say, really. But Chicago. Lutheran Church. All over Facebook. The Lutheran pastor of this Lutheran church decided that he wanted to have a children's church and dress up as drag for the children's church. Plastered all over Facebook. Somebody made the comment, can you imagine if Martin Luther, came, or Martin Luther was alive? Can you imagine? Now, would I agree with everything with Martin Luther? Of course not. And if you knew everything about Martin Luther, you wouldn't either. But let me tell you something. You talk about rolling, rolling over in their grave. Can you just, just picture for a second? Picture our forefathers. If there was such thing as rolling over in the grave, they'd be rolling over in the graves. Somebody asked me one time, do you believe that people from heaven can look down upon earth and see what's going on here? this This was my answer. No, I do not. Because listen to me, it would be a miserable existence. To look down and see your kids and grandkids and your family not doing right, seeing churches that don't even identify as churches anymore. Do you know how how depressing it would be to look down in the world we're living today? We have absolutely lost our minds today. Do you want to know why? Do you know why we've gone as far as we've gone today? Because God's people have stopped taking a stand. We have stopped saying some things are wrong and some things are right. The called moral absolutes. If God says it's wrong, then it's wrong and it's wrong for everybody. If God says it's right, then it's right and it's right for everybody. Those are moral absolutes. And I'm here to tell you, we've thrown them in the trash. I've said it a million times, man has got to the place where we're doing that which is right on our own eyes. And left to themselves. What happens to children that are left to themselves? They bring their mother shame. That's what the scripture says. And when we're left to ourselves, I'm telling you right now, it's nothing but chaos and nonsense. Take out police presence. Take out laws and let people do whatever they want to do. And let me tell you what happens. Looting, killing, thieving. These are the things that are, these are the things that are happening when people are left to themselves to do what they want to do. Let me tell you, God says it's wrong. Then it's wrong. If lying, if God says lying's wrong, then when you lie, you're doing wrong. But you don't understand, preacher, I've got to lie. 
But why do you have to lie? Well, I've got to lie because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I've got to lie because of, uh, of whatever. I've got to lie because if I don't lie, then the government's going to get all my money. I've got to lie because... And we come up with all these excuses why that commandment might be for others, but it's not for me. You see where we've messed up? And we've not only done that individually, we've done that as churches. And we have absolutely rearranged and changed the Word of God to fit our needs. What we need to do. You know how many times I've been told this? What you need to do, preachers, just get up with the times. Just get up with the times. I love Jeremiah. You know what Jeremiah talks about? He talks about the old past. I like the old past. You know why I like the old past? Because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What do we, what, now, there are some things we need to change. Mind you, those doors, when you, couldn't, when you can't get out the door in an emergency, it's time to change the door. We don't keep the, we don't keep the door out of sentiment. Right? We don't keep the door because uh, we've always had that door. Sometimes uh, we get into tradition and we make tradition equal with Scripture. Be careful. Be careful because tra- tradition is not equal with Scripture. And so sometimes things have to be changed. I agree. But sometimes we just change things uh, because everybody else is changing them. And I'm telling you, if we don't stand up for what's right, Things are going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. <laughs> I scratch my head and I, and I wonder. We vote these politicians in. Or we don't vote at all. By the way, when you don't vote at all, you're voting. Just letting you know. It's your civic duty, by the way. As a Christian, you should be voting. We vote these these politicians, and, and then, they, then they stink, and they don't do what they're supposed to do, and they're a bunch of liars, and then we go on, and we just complain about it the whole time. Why in the world are you complaining about it if you voted for them? And by the way, why are you complaining about it if you didn't vote at all? You have the right, by the way, you have the right not to vote, but you also have the right not to say anything. Yeah, both. Boy, I can't believe we're saying this. It's a fact, folks. There are some things worth. There are some things that ain't worth dying for. Listen to me. There are some things that ain't worth dying for. Somebody will say something. Somebody will come up with something, and I'll just let it go. Just let it go. Why? Because that's not a hill worth dying on. You want to think that? Go ahead. And then there are some things. Well, wait a minute. I'll give you an example. You could say what you want about me. I don't get my feelings hurt real easy. Kind of like water off duck's back. Say what you want. It may even be true. And if it's true, Lord, help me to do a self-evaluation and, and, and fix it. But sometimes, a lot of times, it's not. And people want to believe it. Listen, I'm not going to argue with them. But you start talking bad about my wife... We're going to have a conversation. We're going to sit down and we're going to talk because what you're saying, number one, isn't so. And number two is none of your business. I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to protect my kids. 
you break into my house, meaning my family harm, I hope you're saved. I'm I'm just telling you. I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to stand up for my family. Because it's worth standing for. Some things are worth standing up for because they count, because they matter. God's people need to stand. What do we need to stand against? Number one, we need to stand against the enemy. Here's our problem. Our problem isn't standing against the enemy. Our problem is we don't have a clue who the enemy is. You know, the Bible talks about the wiles of the devil. Here's our problem. Let me tell you what our problem is in our churches today. We have convinced ourselves that the church down the road is our enemy. We have convinced ourselves that the person across the church is our enemy. I used to sit over there, but man, I don't like so-and-so, so I'm going to sit on the other side of the church. You know how many people leave the church over silliness and over other people? So-and-so made me mad. I'm at odds with so-and-so. Let me say, I, don't, I, I, I just refuse to forgive them. I should read a book. Miss Becky gave it to me. It's called Sunflower. Sunflower? Sunflower. The Sunflower. Very interesting book. And it's about um, a, a Jew in a, in a POW camp, or in a, 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 a concentration camp. And he, he, he gets tagged on this duty that he's got to go to this, uh, to this school, this old school that's now a hospital. And, and uh, he, this SS officer, this German officer, young man, is dying. And he asks this Jewish prisoner, gives him his story and asks him to forgive him. Now, I know what a lot of you spiritually are thinking. Well, of course. You ask for forgiveness, you give forgiveness, that's what you do. I'm talking about this is during the war. While he's in a concentration camp, this guy, he doesn't even know, he asks him to forgive him, and that's not even the gist of the story. That's about this much of the book. The rest of the book is by different authors and different people, their perspective and what they would have done or what they think they would have done if they were in his position. The man got up. After the man said what he said, he got up and just left the room. He didn't tell him he was going to forgive him. He didn't, tell him, he didn't say anything to him. He said, how, he said this into his mind, how in the world could I possibly forgive him? Now, before you give that man a hard time, somebody borrowed a pot from you and they didn't give it back and you, you hold odd against them. Somebody said something to you or what you perceived them to say to you. Because, by the way, we don't generally get from the horse's mouth. We generally get one person says it to another, and then another person says it to another, and then they come to you and say, did you hear what so-and-so said? 
And instead of going to the source, we just get mad. We get upset with that person. And then we hold bitterness and unforgiveness in that person. And we hold on to it for years. I mean, we hold tight to it. Can, do you know what she said? Do you know what he did? Here's a man being tortured, being starved to death. His family is dead. I mean, his wife is dead. His children are dead. His parents are dead. Half the people he knows has been gassed by the people, by the person who's asking for forgiveness. And we can't even forgive somebody because they said something against us. Forgiveness is a real thing. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm here to tell you, we often allow people to dictate where we go and we count them as enemies. Church is not our enemy. People aren't our enemy. The devil is our enemy. You understand that? Peter said he's a roaring lion. He's our adversary, and he's a roaring lion walking about seeking whom, we may, whom he may devour. You know what Satan has a joy in doing? Using people. Using people. And he'll use whoever he can to deceive you, to distract you, to trip you, to make you bitter. He'll use whoever and whenever he can. We need to understand that the person's not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. And we need to stand. The Bible says here, putting on the whole armor of God and, and doing that armor, what, is it, what does that armor entail? Let me tell you what it entails. We're going to talk about that here later. But I'm telling you, when we put on that whole armor of God, what are we doing? We're standing against the wiles of the devil. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We like this part. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You know, listen, the devil will put such a whooping on you, you that you ain't never saying. You're no match for the devil. You th- Let me tell you, you think way too much of yourself if you think that you can stand alone against the devil. The Bible doesn't say resist the devil and he'll flee, flee from you. The Bible says submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The devil's not afraid of you. But the devil sure is afraid of God. And we put on that breastplate and we put on that helmet and we make our feet shy with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What are we doing? We're standing up with God's armor and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and standing against the devil. We've got to, church. We've got to. He is making headway in this world. He loses. In case you didn't know that, read the back of the book. Read Revelation 21. He, he, he loses. Can I tell you that he knows he loses? He knows that. So what is he doing? He's doing everything he can to pull as many people with him as he can. To render as many Christians useless as he can. Now, he can't take you to hell if you're saved and know Christ as your Savior but he sure can hinder you from helping other people to get to heaven. 
And he's good at it. Do you know how many, and I don't, I don't have the number before me, but statistically, how many, how many churches close their doors every year? Staggering. Staggering statistics. One church after another, after another, after another. Do you know how many churches COVID destroyed? One after another, after another, after another. And let me tell you something. The devil will use anything he can. And he'll use whoever he can. So you better be careful. You better open up your eyes. Don't be used by the devil to hinder somebody else. God help us to never be a stumbling block. Never be a hindrance to another believer. Why in the world were so offensive? I mean, we've got the Word of God. God didn't give you the Word of God so you could beat somebody over the head with it. God didn't give you the Word of God so you could, so you could say when somebody falls, see, I knew that was going to happen. I just knew it. Nobody treats their wounded worse than Baptists. Did you hear me? It's a fact. If you don't believe it, do your research. It's a fact. The Bible says that we're, we're supposed to restore. The Bible says that we're supposed to be there for each other. But when somebody falls, whatever it is, whether it's moral or whatever it is, they fall, let me tell you what Christians do. This is what, this is what many Christians do. They fall, and we kick them. You know why we kick them? Because it's easy to kick them when they're down. You know why we kick them? Because it makes us feel a little bit better. At least I'm not her. At least I'm not him. Hey, look what. I I might have these faults and I might be doing this, but man, I ain't ain't gone that far yet. And And instead of kicking them, we should be like the Samaritan who comes by and, and picks him up, puts oil on his wounds, pays his, pays his way at the end, comes back and checks on him. Hey, what else can I do to be a help? What else can I be, do to be a blessing? Instead, we push him. We push him. We push him. We may not push him over the ledge, or over the edge, but we push them as close as we can till they jump. God, help us to realize our true enemy and help us to stand against that enemy in our churches, in our homes, in our schools, at our workplace. Some things are worth standing for, church. So stand and watch the, watch the Lord do a miraculous thing in your life. Let's stand together. Head bowed, eyes closed this morning. Maybe you're here and you're not saved. You've never trusted Jesus Christ.